it's Ace. This is D. And we're at the kickback. We got two special guests, uh, two dear friends, and Frost, Tay, you want to introduce yourself? Going first. Me, I can go first. <clears throat> yeah, I guess yeah. you're going first. You got it. It's Frost. Um, I mean, I go, I go by my real name as well, just in case nobody get it misconstrued. Devontae Sykes. Um, I produce music. I also work for IBM. Um, IT background, so I do a little bit of everything. Tech, Slight tech. flex. Slight flex. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've known all these three guys for a little while now, so I'm just excited to be a part of the show. Shit, I'm ready. Let's get it. Yo, this is uh, this is Tay, um, also known as Dante. Um, I'm just a, a regular nigga, man. I uh, I just so happen to write <laughs> for a living. Um, I work for a really cool company where we help brands figure out who they are. Uh, we write their story for them so that they can uh, speak about it internally and then do it externally. Um, you know, I interview cool people every once in a while, and uh, I don't go outside. <laughs> Word. I respect so, that. I just want to um, get a uh, uh, just a rundown real quick, like because uh, I think DeMarco is like the last person in the in the in the path or just like the circle, like how we all know each other. Yeah, I so, think that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, because I, I was telling um, D a little bit how we know Tay, but I just want to like. Because we just had Malg, we had Stan, and like everybody knows each other, but we're all up and down the East Coast. So, mm-hmm. uh, Frost, you wanna, or Tay, or whoever, if whoever think they got the uh, more interesting point of view. Um, shit, I guess I'm, I might be the link for the most part, but um, yeah, you're the link, yeah. <clears throat> I've known Avery since uh, high school, we went to rival high schools on Jacksonville, Florida. Um, shit, so it's been really like damn near going on 10 years. I know him. Um, I met DeMarco through Stan and Malk and Jordy. So uh, I've known him for a little while as well. I didn't really get a chance to like talk to DeMarco like that, but I think like lately, since we're all like connected in some way, I've been having more uh, conversations with him and shit like that. And then Dante, um, I met in New York when uh, we moved up there with my homie JT. He used to play for the Giants. And uh, Dante and JT actually went to college together, so that was a link right there. And then um, you you was at BBC, right, Dante? Yeah, yeah. Um, My homie Jordy got an internship with BBC through JT, through Dante, I'm pretty sure, so. I mean, that's just how we met, and we've been cool ever since that that whole experience, and now I'm in Atlanta, so I have been up and down this bitch so many fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But... How, how is how is Atlanta? Um, I mean, I fuck, so, so far. I fuck with it. I, technically, I've only been here a month because I've been traveling, like, for three and a half weeks. Mm. I had to go to New York to train, I had to go out to Raleigh, North Carolina to train too, so nah, this shit is straight though, especially like 
being a young black just person period and being in this type of environment where you see a lot of success around i think that shit is very important and a lot of us coming from like some of the areas we come from we see a little bit of it but it's not on a big scale like here like you got black people in offices and shit like that too as far as like the political standpoint so <clears throat> it's always good to see that and then like acknowledging other cities that are like that too like houston i know it was pretty big on that um that pg county area they said that's like the number one area for black people right now too so yeah just the dmv in as all in a whole like i feel like there's a lot of opportunity out here it's expensive as shit though like this is the only thing like i would put atlanta over like this area particularly just because the cost of living is like perfect but uh there's plenty of opportunity for like people of color black folks all like all over here so no no i'm with you yeah. I'm, I might uh, now I'm thinking about getting out of the Navy though but uh, I think I might one of my choices is move back to uh, move back up like Tay's way up in, like near Philly that's what's up yeah, yeah so. yo I was just in Philly back in what was that September Philly kind of straight for real yeah I was in Philly not too long ago either like uh, well I guess it's almost been a year now but yeah I went over there I actually mess with it a lot so i respect that it's slept on like i feel like facts to speak to to like to what y'all was talking about as far as like dope black cities like philly's changed a lot since like since i was a young boy but it really it really is still like a black city and like it has like uh, there are a lot of little like intricacies in, in the city to where um we have a lot more in common with like cities further down south than we do cities further north if that makes sense right um so like for instance like half of my family is in atlanta like that's where my grandpa's from my grandmom's from virginia you know and like uh, so all my family like and our family in south carolina so like we all were like basically like babies of like very southern families just living in the south and you could just see it in the city like the way we do certain things the way we say certain things the way the porch is like the gathering place for everything you know like just the way the city used to work like you could go to the corner store and like get your grandpa's cigarettes because they knew him and it wasn't a big deal like as a youngin so it was just like we just had like a very southern upbringing in a northern city and i and, and i think uh that's something that like I hold on to because city Philly's also one of those cities that they're doing so much as far as changing it and pens buying up space and you know it's it's getting it's getting it they're pricing people out at this point but I still I still remember a Philly where like you know you walk through North Philly you walk through West Philly you walk through South Philly if you you know was was brave enough and knew somebody down south to go down there but uh you know you see like if you saw a white person you would think like they got left behind because it was just such a black city mm. i think that's kind of how it is in, in baltimore a little bit now like uh, because property was really cheap out there so of course you already know the the law of the land and how that goes so a lot of that's being priced out for lack of better words um and quite quickly too and i think that if i'm not mistaken elon was trying to build some type of uh, 
I'm trying to remember what it was exactly. Frost might be able to help me out, but he was trying to build like a underground line. He like the what he's doing in California, but he wanted to do one from I think DC to New York that would get to and from in like two hours or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like a so, high speed rail type thing. Yeah, exactly. So when people heard that, uh, people just immediately started buying in Baltimore because that was going to be one of the stops and property is like dumb cheap over there. So um, like even the time that I've been here, like in the last three years, like the price of property has changed so drastically for that. So I just always think stuff like that's interesting. So Baltimore is really like city, like Philly's like sister. If we're going to like keep it yeah. a bean, like I used yeah. to go to Baltimore all the time when I was young and we had family friends that lived out there in like West Baltimore and you can like, you know, go to like, they had the Blacks and Wax Museum and like, you know, you go up there and get seafood, but you're still in the hood. So like Baltimore definitely, like even with like the bike culture and all that, there's a, in the road, the way the houses are, those railroad houses, like Baltimore is very much like Philly in that sense. And like, there's a lot of dualities, even like in crime, like a lot of cats that get popped in Philly, or like get hot, they'll go to Baltimore. Cats that get hot in Baltimore, they'll come to Philly. So like it, it's definitely mm-hmm. got like a, a very, a very uh, paralleled history in both of those cities. And like it's there's like I feel like a lot of people don't understand like if if you haven't gone to these cities for, or been there for a long period of time, the kind of warmth you feel in a city that you know is like it, it's it's almost undescribable. And I'm sure. Frost can speak to that and y'all can speak to that too being in Jackson like cities that are predominantly black there's like a warmth like when I went to Chicago it was like I'd never been there before but I automatically felt like when we went we was on the south side you just feel like a comfortability that like is kind of undescribable you know like these are like these are my people and like you could walk around and like people will tell you like where you can get food and you know where you should shop and like it's just it's different yeah, it's always like a familiar feeling and even like you might not know the person for long, but you can kind of like feel that similar energy or that everybody's kind of like, not similar like a mindset, but that, I don't know, you just basically almost like can, you know? Just being, yeah, just being with your people. Yeah. And then getting to know them, you know? I mean, shit, we already figuring out that we kind of live in similar lives. Our upbringing is very much the same. You know, how every time on Twitter some shit come up and you be like, damn, that, sh- that shit brought back a memory that you ain't think you really had for real. It's so true. So true. Bruh, I remember there's this one thread that happened on Twitter. There's like this type of cup. I don't know what it is. It's like a Walmart cup and everybody's like, hey, y'all got one of these in your house? And like so many people was like, yeah, bro, I have that same fucking cup. And it's just like 200 pictures of the same cup. And I was like, damn, I got one of those in my house in like four different colors, bro. So it's just, it's, it's so wild how similar the experiences are. And I just think it's like that much more evident because it's plastered on the internet because like we can like... Uh, network and kind of share experiences so quickly now. But y'all, y'all, that reminds me the one. Um, I don't know if y'all saw it. You know how like when you're younger, your stomach used to hurt, and your mom used to tell you, uh, drink some ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said that that oh didn't work, and I was mine. I, I was know. like, how? I think I think if you thought it worked, that it I worked. I swore that shit worked. Plus, I don't know. But I think there's something about the ginger root that does have like some type of healing ability, but ginger ale, the soda, doesn't do anything. Right? But I just think that's just kind of like something that's passed down as the black experience that, well, this is kind of adjacent, so it should be good, right? So 
Yeah, that's a I fact. I think, like, for me, it all kind of just boils down, at least for being a black man, with the head nod. Like, I think right. that, like, and it's something, it's something you're not taught. You just, like, I never remember my pop being like, this is what you do when you're in public and you see, like, you know, another black dude or, or another brother, whatever, whatever we're going to call each other today. But, you know, I, I just never remember being taught it. But I just remember from a very young age just the acceptance and the appreciation for sharing space and knowing, like, uh, you know, like my wife, my wife is white, so like when we go out, I, I, anybody I see, I'll do it no matter what city I'm in, and she, she understands mm-hmm. it now because I, you know, I explained it to her a while ago. But just the understanding, like if it's somebody that's older, usually I do a head down, you know, mm-hmm. and then right. if it's somebody around mm-hmm. my age, I'll do the head up. But it's just that appreciation of like I understand your experience in this world that we live in, and just appreciating them for the space that we share. Mm-hmm. But it's wild because sometimes you don't even get it back. So I'd be ready to fight <laughs> off of that though. I'd be ready but to fight yeah, off. Yeah, it's of that. like it's like because I, I remember my my I mean my dad used to tell me like you know when you see when you see a black man or uh, whatnot like he's like you guys gotta stick together so you gotta t- you gotta know that y'all are in the same mindset. I mean the head nod is just a symbol of that. But sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you don't get that shit back, though. I'd be like, thinking that people but, are scared. Like, let's say if you're at work or something like that, and it's just like you two in the hallway, and it's like a bunch of people in the hallway, and sometimes people don't know how to assess it or they don't assess it quick enough, and then it's just like one person just completely misses the head nod, and then it's like really awkward. Yeah, I mean, I think in some instances too, that shit is like a litmus test. True. You see who's really, who's really for like the black cause and like really supporting black people <clears throat> they mm. tend not to do it yeah oh you know bruh I didn't even think about it that way but now that you put it that way it kind of makes sense cause like like you shouldn't <clears throat> have to hide the fact that you have a black experience because I mean other cultures don't mm. they still practice their culture even in front of you so i mean i do it at work personally right and it's never been a problem but i do notice some people don't do it and then when <clears throat> those are the son- the same people that'll share opposing views mm-hmm. and yeah. in such cases supporting you know what i mean trump and people of that na- that nature you know what i'm saying it's going against the grain a lot. Is that a segue to one of the stories that we got? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just messing with you. But I, I hear you on that point because I know even though even though like I feel like like some people might even have opposing views, I feel like we could have different views, but I feel like that head nod is like special. Like that goes back to like ancient times i feel like and it's just like a it's such an important non-verbal but um try to figure out how to explain it somebody can fill in the rest of the sense if they want to but uh <laughs> no i know i know what you mean like i completely agree yeah. with what you're saying like it's it's non-verbal but it's it's a um 
That shit in our DNA, bro. Yeah, Basically. like it, it's it's a, it's an it's an acknowledgement <laughs> of like it's acknowledgement of struggle. It's an acknowledgement of overcoming. It's an acknowledgement of presence of mind to appreciate you know, uh, somebody else who looks like you, because at the end of the day, like a lot of our experiences just come down to what we look like. It's not who we are. It just comes down to what we look like. So knowing that that person understands that when I walk out the door, I'm going to be judged just by off of how I look is, uh, it's powerful. And, and I think like, and as to speak to what Frost is saying, like it is something that is, it's so interesting to me, the nuances in this country when it comes to how, if we do outwardly show appreciation for each other, it's always not. But if you look at every other culture that has assimilated, it is, it's usually outwardly shown their appreciation for each other with all of the, you know, if you just look at like, you know, the, the Jewish community, like I, you know, we have Jewish people in our family and it's like, never would anybody say anything about a holiday they support anything about anyone wearing a yarmulke in public anything about any of that because that's part of their tribe but when it comes to us and when we start to band together or do little things like the head nod and not to downplay it but something like that and it's completely tribal for people who look like each other have the same sensibilities to stick together then it's kind of looked at side-eyed or they think that we're like up to something or like, you know, they want to know what, like how to get in or, you know, what we're hiding. Right. Like, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It, yeah. A lot of it's really deep, man. Yeah. So moral of the story is just want to emphasize for everybody who feels like they can't go to work and, you know, show respect to their, their elders with the little nod or whatever. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. But just be you at all times. That's what I say. Big facts. But speaking of uh, kind of going back to one of the segues that you kind of set up for us, we were actually talking about some of the stuff that was going on in the music world because there's a lot of discussion about kind of like ownership of music and how that whole interaction is of, uh, you know, how artists interact with labels and all the other good stuff. So one of the the main things that you probably have seen of Kanye within the last, I don't know, 30 days, it's been a lot, but uh, is Kanye is trying to uh, basically get get his masters back for all of his music. Mm, Is it up up to what point? That's a good question. It says, it says, um, in that link, if you click that link that I just put in, mm-hmm. um, it said he's trying to get his his uh, masters from 2010 on, but pretty much the deal he signed, it's saying like he can never retire, like he has to keep doing stuff in music, because <laughs> he it literally says it literally said like That's it says that in the lawsuit, so it's just kind of wild, like I don't know how you sign that shit. That's actually that's actually like it's fun. it's kind of funny, but at the same time, like when you realize that this is somebody's life too, like it's actually kind of scary. Like if you think about it, right? No, like Kanye, no. you no, you can't shoot him any bail here. You can't no, shoot, I'm you not, can't I'm shoot not, him any I'm bail. I'm just saying. Here. I'm just saying. Like think about it this way, right? Imagine if you go to work and you don't think it's forever, right? Like you potentially might go into another gig or do something else, mm-hmm. but then. You go in to turn in your two weeks, and they mm-hmm. go, "No, you gotta work here forever." Mm-hmm. Like the the level of bus ass 
is mm -hmm. astronomical. Mm -hmm. So I just couldn't imagine being in that situation. And you would think somebody who's achieved what Kanye has would have some type of leeway in a situation like that. But the fact that they know that that contract is worth its weight in gold or worth Kanye's weight in gold or whatever you want to call it, you know, they're definitely not going to let that shit go because that's how their kids' kids' kids are going to eat. So... The music business, the music business is not the music business when artists understand it. And it's that simple. There, there really is no structure in the music business if artists actually understand what they're signing and what they're giving up. Because if, 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 if artists actually understood what they were signing and what they were giving up or what they were relinquishing or what terms of these contracts actually stated, uh, you wouldn't have record labels. You just have a bunch of artists with their own websites releasing music directly to the consumer but instead you have artists like Kanye West who started in the system and get used to being in the system so you start you the idea is always I want to get a I want to get a record deal I want to get a record deal I want to get record deal you get so used to getting that record deal and you get so used to that money that a label can give you and you get so used to all the extra stuff that comes with it like the marketing and Frost, Frost is at a label like he can attest to this like it all plays into it to the point where you just really get uh you get rocked to sleep and Kanye is just another example of that where he got rocked to sleep and he signed what looks like one of the worst fucking deals I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the, I've never seen a deal like this. But it speaks okay. to it also speaks to the times because now they know with artists finding so many loopholes in it, they made it very clear. Look here, motherfucker. If you want to retire, you can't. You must be making music at all times. Any long period of, periods of a break, you need to be working on music. So it's, 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 it's the record industry catching up to the way that artists are finding ways to become independent, to keep them under contract, to where this is, this is your life, bro. It's not, it's not your job. This is your life. And the thing I'm kind of puzzled about, especially because this is from, because we're, we're looking at 2010 forward. He's trying to get those masters specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So okay. at that time... I think that was the Yeezus era, and Kanye had a pretty decent penny on him. I'm trying to figure out, and I've I've seen scenarios where the lawyer might be laying with the artist and the in the label, mm -hmm. so they're not working in the artist's best favor. But I'm trying to figure out who was Kanye's lawyer in this situation to let him get fucked like this. Like I've seen newer artists have better deals than this. So um, I was gonna say like. He's trying to get his stuff from 2010 on, but he signed this deal this the, with the publishing company EMI mm. back in like '03. So, like in '03, like when you, if somebody, if an artist wants to make it, like they have to sign a record deal. Like that's just how it was. But I'm just trying to figure out, like, yeah, who was his lawyer? Who let him sign this shit? And then why didn't I mean why didn't he read it? Also, like after a while, I. I I feel like uh, somebody with the, the catalog of Kanye, like, I feel like he should have been able to get out of that somehow. Uh, he should have had more leeway than that. That's like, like if a sports athlete signs like a, uh, like a rookie deal or some shit like that. But I guess that's not the case with music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how you sign your life away like that. 
But that's my point, getting rocked to sleep. So like he got yeah, on, like, you wanted the record deal. 2003, you signed this, it's nuts, but I'm looking at it right now. So 2003, he signed, you get college dropout in 04, you get mm -hmm. late registration in 05, you get graduation in 07, you get 808s and heartbreaks in 08, you get My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in 10, Jesus in 13, Life of Pablo 16, yay 2018. Or Shit, whatever that throne. bullshit he put out. God damn. So if you if watch the thrones in eleven, yeah. Right. Cruel summers two thousand twelve. So if you're looking at that, it's like they saw who Kanye was. That's why the the most interesting thing, and again, I'm sure Frost can attest to this, is like when you look at the amount of money that they're coming at rappers with initially. If I'm a rapper and I look at it. I'm thinking, all right, if a label's going to come to me and I'm just one of these SoundCloud dudes and they're telling me they'll give me a million for three records, I'm worth at least 10 to 15. Right. They're not going to take an L up front because they're, they're expecting you to fail. That's why they move the way they do. But if you blow up, then they're good forever. So, but I guess also in Kanye's case, whenever he signed that deal, the internet wasn't as strong as it is now. So I feel like this, I'm pretty sure these contracts will still happen because people are just not as uh, savvy with when it comes to like contracts. But at the same time, this was maybe his only way out. He probably didn't have the money or the resources yet. This was the only way he can kind of get some type of traction and they just caught him on a couple lines of paper but this also kind of brings up this other situation with de la soul and they were trying to stream their music i think it was uh, the label that owned the music originally and the cut for the streaming i guess based on their deal was 90 10 and you gotta think yeah. they lost multiple people so you're spilling 10 percent with three people and the label keeps 90%? I think that's insane. That's ridiculous. Can, can I ask a question regarding De La Soul? Yeah. So I'm I'm not a De La Soul fan. I'm not gonna tell you I am. I don't know if I've ever even heard a song or can say a song that I know out loud. But what mm. I do remember is hearing a lot growing up that De La Soul stole a lot of music. And that is what led to a lot of the problems that they had with their record label because they couldn't get stuff cleared or the record label was paying so much to get stuff cleared that Daylight really didn't have a, any, like, didn't really have any legs to stand on when it came to how much they could get recoup from their mm -hmm. album selling. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Correct. So, and this is actually a good point that you bring up specifically for Daylight because obviously they're from, like, maybe like the first or second like gen of rap where it was super sample heavy they didn't really go through all of the red tape to get it cleared so of course the label ate a lot of the cost on that but <clears throat> the label ate the cost initially once the samples were getting um getting discovered is how i understand it i could be wrong but they once they have a settlement with a sample i don't think they could come back and go okay we want more or we could re-argue it once it goes to streaming i think once they set that deal for them selling the albums i think they're good so for them to still keep that same scenario when it comes to the streaming thing i guess is something that i would want 
more information on mm-hmm. because since it's a, they're not really distributing anything in this case I wonder how that works because that's usually one of the labels major things that they claim for the music is that they're they're uh, pushing out the album art they're you know paying for studio time they're distributing it but that's not the case now because this has been out for like 15 20 plus years so yeah that's kind of wild yeah i'm just trying to figure out how that case stood that they couldn't they couldn't even do like a 60 40 deal with the streaming man i wish uh i know a lot of these rappers wish they could have looked into the future to see how shit was going because the streaming shit like you can like people like Kanye Jay-Z or anybody with like a classic album can probably get paid for the rest of their life but they're not even gonna see like a, pretty much a dime of that shit which is kind of sad and but, you know that's kind of insane because if you look at like rock music and you know like bands that have like critically acclaimed albums that are like a top tier album they're good like I feel well for the most part I feel like they're good and I just feel nah, like a lot of those cats be getting fucked over too oh really okay yeah like a lot of a lot of those uh, I'm sorry Frost I say I think it's just music in general mm. The, mm. The, the labels are gonna play play a hardball game no matter what genre you're in cause you can you even hear about singers they in these same type of contracts so yeah, it spans the whole music business. This is true. This is true. I think the reason I think the reason why hip hop gets highlighted so much is because one, be, it's 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 sheer popularity. Like, there's nothing even coming close to what hip hop and rap are doing now. You know, mm-hmm. these 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 artists are doing numbers that are just like, and and that's like I think something we could talk about later. But how the the numbers that they're coming up with streaming don't even make any fucking sense. And I think they're doing that. Right. They're doing yeah, that so exactly. artists don't understand it either. And that's something that like I want to talk about later. Like, yeah, globally, like these fucking algorithms that they have to make sense of like, you know, what a boogie can sell as far as like what he did in 800 copies and it comes to six. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. But I think it's just the span of what hip hop has done and where the platform is now that like it's it's known that these guys should be making more money than they are but these contracts are so bad that these labels have just been able to move into the streaming era with the same deals intact because again you got to think of it like ll cool j signed a deal for 10 records his first contract god right so you don't you do you remember when you remember I remember I remember when LL Cool J put 10 out the name of the album was 10 because mm-hmm. he signed a deal for 10 records and I I don't think he got that motherfucker out until like the early 2000s and and when did he first come out early 80s right so yeah. that was his first that's just kind of, yeah so when you think of the way that like if we're going to talk Kanye he signed that deal in in what are we saying uh, 03 yeah, and he didn't even put an album out he just I think he had like a maybe like a mixtape floating around yeah and and they're rolling this straight into streaming mm-hmm. right well, you think about it like 
that's not 10 years. It's like, well, whenever you're going to come out with an album, like 10 albums? 10 albums, bro. It took them, I don't even know. It took LL Cool J like fit, at least 15 years to come out with 10 albums, right? Big LA. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, I think that when they saw that format change from like records to tapes to CDs, I think somebody who was writing the contracts got smart and said, this format's not going to last forever. So they probably wrote it, the contracts in a way that no matter how the music is distributed, they would still own it. And I think that when it moved into the streaming platform, I think that's where we, I say we, but I mean artists, uh, that's where artists took the biggest L because now they don't eat the cost on actually creating a physical thing and they still reap the same profit. And I think it's probably cost way less to make records now than it does than it did 10 years ago. And oh, still yeah. taking the same percentages. You're not even putting CDs in the store oh, yeah. anymore. Nope. Yeah. You're, not, you're not really getting a marketing budget. You got to come yeah. in with 100,000 followers. I honestly I honestly think, like, conspiracy theory, I honestly think the mixtape era of rap kind of ushered in the, the streaming era. Facts. Because, yeah, because with... With that, with those mixtapes, like if you think about like Fifty and you think of Clue and Drama, like they were eaten off of those mixtapes, no matter what they did with major labels. Because I remember Drama put that major label uh, drawn out, and it had a bunch of like you know whatever, but they was eaten off of that. And mm-hmm. I feel like streaming kind of was like it was the way for the music industry to make up for like okay, how do we close the gap on what we can't. Uh, put underneath this so that we can like reap the benefits of whatever they put out whether it's a mixtape whether it's a single whether it's an album whether it's a fucking you know 10 track ep with each song being a minute we want to eat off all this and that was kind of the back door for a lot of contracts it's like oh you own my albums but if i make a mixtape and it's not like distributed through you guys then that's my thing or same thing with the, the tour merch right exactly so they used to own their own tour merch and the touring was their own profit and then like they would split up whatever is made off of the distribution of the music but then they had these 360 deals so everything that their brand is associated with they have their hand in like i wouldn't be surprised if that was the same situation for some of these other artists maybe even including kanye i don't know how oh it is how, it is so every time you sell, you buy a Yeezy or whatever stuff that he sells, I'm pretty sure his label eats off of that too because his name's associated with it. Well, you, I don't know if y'all are familiar with what happened with uh, Frank Ocean, but how he mm-hmm. got out his Def Jam deal like real quick by yeah. doing that uh those two albums like back to back, but one was was just like a, a visual album, so that's probably. I mean, he was smart, but. I think everybody else got to be a little bit smarter because these records, they're going to break, they're going to crack. I mean, they probably already cracked down on that too. Like you, they're probably getting real specific on what you can release to fulfill a, a contract or whatnot. And I'm, but honestly, I don't even think you really need a label anymore, but we'll get into that a little bit. I'll let you finish. I was going to, well, no, I was going to say what um, Tay was saying earlier, like about the numbers and whatnot. Um, it's, I, f- I feel like, a lot of people look at like numbers towards what success is but i remember like the first person ever like mentioning numbers was like back like when 
when 50 Cent came out. Mm-hmm. And that was like his thing. Like mm-hmm. to to say, oh, I, I sold, I think he was doing that shit to Ja Rule. And that was one of the things. But yeah, like just making a whole spectacle of like going number one or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But now it's come like, I mean, probably like the last like three to five years. I feel like now like complex or high beast or whatever there's like oh this person sold this many this many albums in a week or whatever right. but i remember that little wayne too that carter three because that was a big deal like a million in the first week so and also, like i don't i don't think until recently maybe in the last three to five years like projections like projected numbers on an album was like a major headline so sometimes yeah, before yeah, a true. project will come out that's how i know to your point that we're kind of getting obsessed with the number that they do and it kind of validates whatever they do because whenever they go, okay, well, this is what we project and that article comes out on Tuesday and then Friday or Monday, the following week, they put out another article about the actual numbers and how they compare. I don't think it was that detailed until like more recently, until like the streaming era. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just wish you get back to quality over the quantity thing because sometimes some of these albums come out and it's just like, oh, what were you doing? But I think that... <laughs> it's like, yeah. like who, listen, who okayed this? Like, But I think I that's know. kind of like what people... I don't know how much you actually need when it comes to like becoming an artist and I guess it depends on what you're trying to do right but I think to me it doesn't even make sense to have an actual label that you sign to for a long term like I can understand maybe doing like a short term deal that's maybe just one album or one project but these multi right like these multi album deals multi life deals I feel like these need to stop. Like, uh, it's just not necessary. Whenever you can just go, okay, I'm going to just grind for two weeks. I'm going to put this project out on Spotify because you can upload directly to Spotify now. Just apply to be an artist and you can upload your stuff. And that's one of the major platforms of music consumption. Why would you need a, a label? You don't even have to send it to anybody. I got, I got two points to piggyback that. I think mm-hmm. one is one is that like I just think they think we're just really fucking dumb and they I think they bank on artists not knowing because I feel like I saw something this week or last week where they said and my this is somebody I, I don't listen to either Bryson Tiller and they said the nigga was in the studio for 20 hours over the week mm-hmm. and it's like what, what that's two fucking work days right like, what does him being in the studio for 20 hours mean? Like, it's just, right. an, it's just another useless number that, like, means nothing. But they, they'll they blast it out, and then a certain fan base or whoever will latch on to it and be like, oh, my God, like, he's been in the studio. This shit is going to be fire. And it's like 20 fucking hours? Like, that, he ain't doing shit. Yeah, he could have been sleeping for 12 exactly like that means he went that means he he probably went in on monday put in a good five hours six hours came out went in on tuesday and did that a few times that like that i i really i honestly think and actually i know because i've seen it and i've been in some of these places when it's like when i've heard the conversations they think we're fucking dumb and they know that a lot of people are dumb 
but two to speak yeah. to the point of like using the label as opposed to the label using you i think nipsey is a perfect example of that and like what he what he did as far as work from work from bulletin got no names to now uh dedication and signing that distribution deal or that i should say partnership with atlantic and understanding that sometimes it does take a little bit more of that kind of money and those kind of people to get your product in front of the right eyes not always the most eyes but the right eyes and for that whole drop to happen in la during all-star and all that shit i don't think it could have been any i don't think it could have been better i don't think it could have been executed any better and i think that's an example of somebody who believed in themselves the whole time went the independent route and then went to a major and then actually and then broke bread with a major label when it made mm-hmm. sense right right exactly i feel like if you come to them as a kid trying to get out into the fast life right i feel like you have a lot less to offer to the label as if on the flip side, kind of like with Nipsey, he came to them as like an equal business partner. So of course they knew two things. One, that they were going to get the return, like the percentage of a success from working with him was gonna be relatively high because he's already proved in the past. Two, they knew that he was smart enough to make his money and he didn't necessarily need them. It just was going to work beneficially so they couldn't fuck him on the contract. So. It, it, it was a totally different conversation that they had versus like I don't know if I had like two songs on SoundCloud and a pop and Instagram you know so and I think with, with some of the younger artists though I think it's just that urge to be famous rather than like trying to build a business with it and I think that's something that needs to be talked about a lot more too especially like I tell some of the younger guys that I know that are making music, like, understand the business. Like, FaceTime me, bro. I'll show you how to do X, Y, Z. Like, even helping people register with performance rights organizations before the label comes and does that for you and end up fucking you on percentages on your royalties and stuff like that. Like, shit. Already... Uh, hanging out together, y'all might as well form a business around it, legitimize it or something, make money, write stuff off. Like Exactly. Like, I know in most states, like, if you run some type of home business or whatever, like, say if you have, like, a, I don't know, like an LLC where you sell vintage clothes, right? If you... There's, I think certain states, I'm not sure if this is all states, but you can write off your rent as an expense for your business if you operate out of your house. There's like certain things that people just never think about that would help optimize their situation for stuff that they're doing. But because nine, I would say 96% of the game happens behind closed doors or like off the internet, nobody knows. So you don't even know what to look for because it's just not, it's just not told. This, uh, I was going to say is like whoever I guess you could just label like um, like gatekeepers because like or people that know the secrets that aren't teaching like because we could have learned all this stuff in like school or like when we were younger 
Right. And then look where we like, look how much we would have benefited from. But now, we gotta educate ourselves. But even like what Taylor was saying with these publications throwing numbers out, they know they know what's gonna pop on the internet or whatnot. But I mean, it's our fault. It's our fault, or not our fault, but you know the the masses' fault for falling for the shit. Cause and that's why we keep getting bullshit. So I don't know. I mean, there's there's a, to be said on the, the consumer part, like just smarten it up so we know what we're getting is quality yeah and i think that also kind of going to like what we were talking about earlier with labels just kind of throwing numbers at at the wall or whatever um i feel like there's just something about being able to quickly throw out a number and somebody be able to grasp that and regurgitate that that it has like a something like a special power about it right like if if i were to be talking to somebody about a topic that I know a little bit about, but they're spitting a bunch of numbers at me, it sounds like they know more about what they're talking about, or it seems like it's a bigger thing than what it actually is. And I think that as the labels and as businesses realize that that's kind of what people want to do, like they want to seem like they're smart or they, they want to seem like they, they understand a bunch of other stuff. So they know that people kind of just latch onto that. And I feel like that's like a really quick way to market not only themselves, but to kind of have people like obsess over whatever the topic is. It could be music, it could be sports, it could be gaming, whatever. I just feel like they have that down to a science because people don't read. (laughs) So they just give them the numbers. That's it. So. They rely on people's lack of critical thinking because, you know, people take things as law. And you could, it's not just this, like you can see it across the board just how we're, we're getting dumber. You know, you can see like the shit that people share and take it as fact. And then you go do a little due diligence and and look up, you know, go to one or two other sources to try to fact check it. And it's absolutely bullshit. So it's, it's there, there it's, it's, it's a larger issue, but it's, it's, I mean, I mean, I like, I ultimately, I look at it as like, you got predator and you got prey. And I feel like a lot of these record labels and the way they move around is Predator. And a lot of these youngins who might not necessarily come from the most and are very talented and have people in their ear telling them, like, yo, you can be a star, that's Prey. And, like, I'm never going to knock a youngin for signing a record deal, like, ever. So I don't want my message to ever get confused. Like, if... Great example. Vince Staples signed that record deal with Def Jam. He says to this day that, like, you know, it wasn't the best deal. But at the time, his mom was sick and he needed the money to take care of her. I get it. Like, life is always going to life. And there's always going to be something to take care of. But I think it is... I put a lot of... I put a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the people who came before so when I think of like the fact that these youngers are getting, you know, swept up into these kinds of situations, I think of the artists that came before them that didn't have the forethought to start maybe their own labels or maybe their own management companies. And like people that come to mind immediately when I think of that are like people who got in fucked up deals and almost didn't get out. So I think of people like Jada Kiss and I bring this up all the time. Like mm-hmm. I think of people like that who just were so outwardly upset with the, the, the situation they had with Puff. 
and the deal that they signed. And it's like, if that if that generation, who is really the first generation to really start getting money, isn't going to be able to talk to these youngins and instead of looking at like, okay, this kid's got a drug problem or you know, this kid's talking about lean or whatever it may be, instead of looking at it like, oh, well, we rapped about selling drugs and they rap about doing drugs, instead of looking at that and looking at them as like, look, this is a youngin' that comes from an environment I come from who's trying to get on and could be susceptible to like the same problems or the same pitfalls I ran into. And instead of taking them under their wing, they look at it as competition. I think that's really, I think that's really where rap falls. And it, and it continues right. to do it every fucking cycle. And for that, like, I'm, I, I, that's what pisses me off the most about rap. That's what pisses me off the I most think, about it. I think I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that because, like, let's say sometimes I'll get on, like, Twitter or something like that, and I'll always hear that. Uh, and I always feel like there's just a huge disconnect on that part, too, between, like, people within the industry they're like oh well this is why rap isn't growing or this is why they keep churning and burning these artists and i'm like no it's not that there's anything particularly wrong or different with how music is being made now it's that they don't know how to optimize their product like if you put out an album and your album is doing three million plus streams you shouldn't be I don't know. Like you shouldn't be broke. Like there's a, I feel like there's like a mistranslation. It's the same thing if you were to sell 3 million records like 10, 15 years ago. Like there's it doesn't make sense why like you should be coming out on the ass end of that in that situation too. And I feel like for them to know and then see like the new people do that and then not tell them anything and just kind of still be on that whole competitive shit like it's just I don't know. It's it's really frustrating, cause I'm like you guys are actually the same, but you guys need to get your head out of your ass, for lack of better words. I agree. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask, what do you think about like a like an artist? You you know how there's like there's one all right, so there's one record label right, and then you have an artist that has their record label, but then you have an artist another artist under them that has a record label. Oh, the do you label, think that's labels. Yeah, like, do you do you think that's right for like? I mean, some uh, somebody that comes ignorant and just signs to that person that's under like four or five deals, then you're not getting shit. Like, is that going back to the older people not being generous or just not thinking about, or are they just thinking about themselves in that in that thought? I always I wondered about those situations because is the idea to grow your label under another label and then break off because that's what I would think about but I don't usually see that happen too often like you look at cash money they're still a part of what universal right and they've been that way for a while so to me I'm like why would I sign to cash money and this is me being on the outside right why would I sign to cash money when there's two labels above me and two different set layers of rules versus just signing directly to Universal, you know? Yeah, people gotta start talking about those, the real organizations and companies that, you know what I mean, own all the media shit anyway. This is true. There we go, or Emmis. Viacom, we looking at you? But, uh, I think, I think, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to optic. And I think if, if I'm going to be completely frank, I think a lot of these young, a lot of these youngins or a lot of these artists would rather get fucked by somebody that looks like them as opposed to getting fucked by somebody who doesn't. Mm. So I say that in the sense that like you say, like what makes people keep signing the cash money? They know Birdman. They've seen artists that Birdman's worked with. They've seen the kind of, uh, they've seen the kind of uh, so-called riches and cars and all that other bullshit that they flaunt. That's you know what whatever that that's a whole nother argument. But that feels a little bit more comfortable than you walking straight into Universal and meeting whoever the fucking president of that is is who doesn't know who you are from a can of paint and signing a deal with them. Mm. I can see that. So it's like trying to talk to the manager before going to like the CEO and trying to ask for a job. It, in a sense, but like it, but it's it's again, it's the optics. So it's like you're looking at Birdman as like he's a boss. Where I'm from, Birdman is like that's pretty much the highest you can get. We're not thinking of like who runs Universal. We're thinking they run Cash Money. Right. So let's say, for instance, we look at somebody like Blueface. Blueface signs the Cash Money West. Yeah. Right. He signs the Cash Money West. He literally just got on. Whack mm. 100 scoops him up. Whack 100 is on Cash Money West. I could only imagine that Cash Money West is just a subsidiary of Cash Money. I would find it hard to Academy. believe that they're equal find right. it very hard to believe that they're equal so as a subsidiary of cash money who already has a history of fucked up business dealings you're now underneath that you know whack 100 is probably getting the management cut as well so he's getting that and then you also have universal who's got to take their cut but Blueface is from la whack 100 is from la whack 100 is working with game whack 100 is all over the internet whack 100 is all over ig threatening people Wet 100 apparently has a lot of clout out here. So the idea is like, okay, I feel comfortable with him. Even when they ask him about his contract, he feels comfortable enough to say another grown man knows more about my business than I do. Go talk to him. So they'd rather get fucked by somebody who looks like them that they might know as opposed to somebody who don't doesn't look like them that they might not know. And I think it's also a part of the reason why they signed those, uh, they, they grabbed what, the, the low-hanging fruit, I guess is what they explanation of that is is because whenever you're grinding and you have all these people in your ear telling you that you ain't gonna be shit and it's probably going on for I don't know how long people just want to be able to grab that low-hanging fruit and go okay you see me on Instagram you see I have all these cars I'm in these videos with these artists I'm at these shows I'm doing this you can't tell me anything now and I think it's a bit of a pride thing like you know because it so many scenarios i think probably like 80 percent of the deals like everybody's first deal is a bad deal right but knowing that you know that at least you'll be able to take the short-term benefits of that and like flex on all the people who didn't fuck with you so that way you can kind of like try to build something off of that i feel like that's maybe the what they're thinking but i guess just knowing what i know now i just couldn't in good consciousness unless kind of like with vince staples situation it was a life or death situation without a loved one, so that was a little different. But I couldn't in good conscience sign a deal in 2019. I, f- I feel like one of these uh, OGs. I know Jay Z doing all this good for all these people. He needs to have like a like a uh, like a class or some shit like that. I don't know. 
just tell everybody how they getting how they should be getting paid or whatever. What know what you're worth. That's mm-hmm. just the big thing, knowing what you're worth. But you know. Dog, he shoot that he shoot he shoot that invite out and niggas wouldn't even show up. You think so? Oh he my said they god, win? niggas wouldn't show up. I th- mm-hmm. I think I think that people were of the right mind would like people I think of the right did- mind yes, but I'm 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 envisioning it right now like I'm envisioning cats being like being t- too prideful and I mean you a Jay Z sometimes like even you said what I say you see how they talk about Jay Z sometimes that is true the future thing like yeah. You remember when Boosie came out was like, he ain't got he he don't run Baton Rouge. We ain't listening to him. Like, just something that simple. So you think they're gonna sit down and let him talk to them when they already feel like they're boss in their own right and they run their family and they feed everybody they know? Like, it's it's sad, but I think mm. like I honestly don't see a lot of cats showing up to have Jay Z teach them what they should be doing. Mm. And I think that kind of like might actually wrap around to the first topic in a in an odd way. I feel like a part of that experience is there's an inclusiveness whenever you see people that are in your space that are like you, but then there's also a part of it that's like a competition, right? Like you need to be the best or you need to solidify yourself above somebody else. And I think maybe that's the situation that's happening a lot in rap too instead of seeing somebody who's rapping who maybe looks or does something like you as an ally, they're more of an enemy. And I feel like that's creating more walls than probably would be useful for us. I think we could still, I think you could still be competitive. I think everybody, I think it's good. Everybody needs to be competitive, but in a way, like everybody can get, there's money in this shit. This is a, too much money for like. There's a way to be competitive and to still, you know, share knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's my two cents. I wholeheartedly agree. I just yeah. hope that everybody else picks up on that soon. Shit, I don't know how we talked the hour. We just talked the hour about music and shit, bro. Oh, because it's important. <laughs> music, music is like one of the most important things, man. It is um, the mu- music business. We just talked about the, the music business, or at least hip hop. I feel like you could talk about that forever. I feel like that me with like education, like I don't know, man. Like, don't get me started on shit like that. Like, I'll go on forever. <laughs> but I'd rather I'd rather talk about the business than the other stuff, to be honest. Right, yeah, the business aspect goes all the way into the sports shit too. Like some of these guys in the NFL, their their rookie deals weren't really that good, and they fighting for more money. Talk about it, Frost. Talk about it. <laughs> you know, Odell is in was in that you know what I mean that type of situation. Yeah, so yeah. Guys around the league, but that's just the game they play. People got to understand they. They playing hardball shit. They trying to make money too. They got people to feed, so it's, it's a, like a survivalist type of mentality that people yeah. need to start developing. And I think that that goes back to like some of us that are a little bit older talking to these kids as much as possible whenever you can. You feel me? Right. I think that I think that also goes back to our initial point because. I think we saw a lot of cannibalism in uh, in the NFL this year. Like, for instance, when Le'Veon Bell wasn't going into the wasn't going in the games, 
those niggas in the Steelers locker room was more than happy to slander him in front of the media. Was Which more than crazy. happy to go into his locker room, into his locker, my fault, and talk about we taking his shoes and all that. Was more than happy. And like for me, when I see shit like that, I think like y'all really don't know like the image that y'all are showing, that we can't stick together for nothing. That this man is really just st- sitting out for what he's what he's earned. And y'all gonna y'all gonna backbite, basically. And portray him as the bad guy. Same thing with Antonio Brown. And it's like, it, it's like you can't win for losing sometimes because you want to stand out here on your own as a black man in a business that you know already works against you. Mm. The money ain't guaranteed like the other, uh, like the other leagues are. You, you going, you, you, you already know a dude who almost got paralyzed with Ryan Shazier, right? You know right. a dude mm-hmm. who almost broke his neck, right? So you trying to get you trying to get your money, and then you got cats that you used to line up next to, talking bad about you in front of the media when you trying to get what you earn. And it's like, it's wild to me. Like sometimes I just stand back and and I, I try my best not to like talk about it because I feel like a lot of what we do, especially when it comes to social media, should be done like behind closed doors. And I feel like that was one of those situations that like, that should have been handled behind closed doors because even if we falling apart, we can't let, we can't let them see it. Especially when, when this type of money's on the table, it look, it look crazy to me. Like I I hate seeing shit like that. Hate seeing shit like that. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for, I'm like a really big advocate of holding like people who are in your circle accountable for shit. Right. But I feel like when you do the crucifixion on social media it looks way different for me calling you or texting you like i don't understand like when i see celebrities argue on twitter and i know they got each other's phone numbers i was like y'all could have actually just facetimed this hashed it out in an hour y'all could have been good but you know how many relationships are forever sour because their their arguments and disagreements are plastered on the internet like it's just there and even if you delete it somebody's gonna screenshot it because they know it's gonna go somewhere and make jokes about this shit right and stuff becomes a meme instantly so if you you gotta if you trying to talk to your homie or whatever and you try to make a point and it turns into a meme they're definitely not gonna fuck with you because that shit's gonna be forever (laughs) yo you see what niggas are doing with r kelly niggas don't take shit seriously bro they don't take anything seriously like but they that's because people gonna hit that retweet button bro yeah. It's like, I'm, and then they got, and then they gonna put the plug under there, bro. Right. As you know. Yeah. Fame is the wackest shit on earth, bro. Like, I promise you, when I was at BBC and I was in New York and I was working at the places I worked and doing what I did, which I don't even talk about really because, like, to me, it was just like I'm, I, I got a bigger purpose. So, like, I'm not even dwelling on a lot of that shit. It's just amazing to me, like, what people will do for attention and it, it'll really be like some of these people's favorite people i've right. seen just do the nastiest shit just to get next to somebody to take a picture talking about we working and shit and it's like y'all ain't working on nothing this person y'all doesn't just know a who picture. you are he don't even know what your name is exactly and right. you can and you can see it like you can just see it on like I, I i slowed down on instagram but you can just see it by like how a lot of these cats are moving and granted like 
some people look at these people as legends. Me personally, I don't. Like the dudes that helped raise me from my neighborhood and my family, those are my legends. Like cats that really overcame real life shit and is still out here like figuring it out and taking care of their family. That's a legend to me. Not somebody that I don't know. And when you see these cats and they be, you know, like all like pictures here and like at these different events and stuff it's like yo this all looks real weird to me and, and maybe it could just be the way i was raised but like it looks crazy to me sometimes yeah, man. Damn, bro. we need we need uh i need a sermon sermon by tay <laughs> yeah I, I think i think that was my rant for today but, yeah. <laughs> but i know I mean, i'm not the only one no, because, like, that's kind of why, I don't know, like, whenever, I don't want to super date myself, but, like, back in, like, the blog era where people were just kind of putting out content, they were doing stuff on the internet because they just felt genuine about it, I felt like it was really different, but then I kind of felt it was changing a bit, and people were, were trying to do the trick for the attention, and that's why I started kind of unplugging from the internet a little bit. I've come to terms with that's just how it's going to be, so I'm starting to accept that that's just how it is but at the same time i feel like it's hard for somebody who's 14 years old who this space is all they know to be able to distinguish what is actually genuine until it's like sometimes too late like they're following these people who like six nine right like they think let's say some kid actually believes the stuff that he's doing and he's saying they're gonna fuck it they're, they're gonna fuck their life up trying to do the shit that he does right so but he's just doing little stunts on Instagram for intention and shit and I know he has to feed his family but at the same time it's like at what cost like you get your little change from your deal but there's hundreds and thousands of kids that probably fuck their life up trying to do some shit for real that you were playing about and then how did, how is his cause I think he got like a kid too like how's his kid gonna look up to him with like on YouTube. And this is all documented, by the way. So yeah. this kid could eventually get a phone in a couple of years and they could just Google all of this shit. So. Wow. Hey, I was going to ask, uh, Tay, when you, <sighs> when you did that, uh, thread for Twitter, for the Marvin Gaye piece, yeah like I know that doing a thread on Twitter for some re- for for like uh for retweets or whatever is like is a thing now but mm-hmm. you did that cause you appreciated the art and the story behind it yeah I wanted to, cause I didn't even know I didn't even know that stuff was going I didn't even know that stuff was going on cause I never looked that deep into it but mm-hmm. how do you when you're when you're writing mm-hmm. how do you how do you look for how do you look for stuff to write about is that just like are you just doing your research or are you just are you thinking it's like a good story like what's your what's your approach to it what's my approach yeah um i guess i can answer that a few ways i feel like for that one it was really just for me um for me, my level my level of music goes to a place to where like I can remember where I was when I heard certain things. Um, a lot of the music that I listen to now, a lot of the people who 
I appreciate is from a time that like before I was even born, but I was taught like what to look for and what to listen for when I hear music. So for a story like that, I knew immediately like Marvin Gaye's just a wild motherfucker to begin with, right? And I think like in in story sense, like especially now, people just like wild shit. Mm-hmm. So I felt like in telling a story like here, my dear, which uh, you're able, like you're able to paint complicated, you're able to portray complicated people in a way that people will digest and somehow find an appreciation of. Because like those are the people I grew up around, so I can understand like complicated people. And that's like another problem I have with the internet where everybody's so willing to crucify people. And you can see like, you can immediately see in people's tweets like, okay, so you didn't grow up around people that, you know, made bad decisions and shit like that. But that's something else, right? So for for that piece particularly, like I just knew Marvin Gaye was a wild motherfucker. He was always yacked up. And I just knew that like that album, he wanted to make a piece of shit. So I felt like telling a story like that to say that like, this dude was so good without trying to give my bias. This dude was so good that he tried to make a shitty album and just couldn't let himself do it. So he just made a fucking soap opera. Um, mm. And giving the, giving the twists and turns in that and being able to pull people in with like things that I think people can resonate with, with like having a drug habit you know, uh, being scorned and not really wanting to pay his old lady and then ultimately making a fucking incredible piece of work and then always pulling a tweet, uh, 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 a quote out that can speak to something larger like him saying, you know, you don't have to use a son of mine to get me in line. Like, that shit resonates to people. Um, but ultimately, like, when, when writing, like, I can definitely say that, like, the gig I have now has helped me a lot with it. But I think uh, I think ultimately people 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 want good content and that's why like for me putting something out like that it wasn't really for the retweets it's just people like stories and that's like the way we communicate that's the way we've always communicated from like the beginning of time especially in like the black culture like how many cats do you know can tell the best fucking story but every time you've heard them tell it to someone different it might be a little different to get a different reaction Right. So it's, right. so it's so it's just like yeah the oral history and also getting back to who we are just as um people I think that like that's my approach like I want to tell the stories that evoke those emotions that pull people into something higher you know that's why I like came out with the Sam Cook one because it was like really timely I just watched that documentary I already knew the story but I felt like you know let's Let's highlight the best in us because even in our flaws, we still make the greatest shit. You look at hip hop, you look at reggae, you look at everything. You look at gospel, you look at, you know, that's not our blues, rock. Exactly. The whole blues, nine, yeah. Jazz. Like, you look at all of that and it all comes from a flawed place, but there's always beauty in it. So that's really where my stories will always sit in you know it's not always going to look good but when it's done it's going to be tactile and we're going to have it for a long time so you i would i appreciate that but i want to ask you so you you probably weren't even interested in that supreme shirt that they put out i have no idea oh wait they did i i, I want to say 
someone was it you that hit me up about that somebody hit me up about that they did a collab with Marvin Gaye no I paid no attention to it yeah so uh, I I had my thoughts on it and this is from somebody who's been about like I I messed with Supreme for a while well we all kind of did but it's I don't know and technically they didn't do anything wrong it was just kind of lazy and I feel like they're just kind of cashing out on the name but I don't know I guess I was just more upset that it was so lazily done from an artist that was so legendary but there might have been stipulations somebody brought up to me there might have been stipulations on the back end where they couldn't do a whole bunch to it yeah like with the state or something right right well then with that being said don't do it right right that's why like yeah i think when someone as complicated as marvin Gaye, who has the body of work that he does and you know let's not forget he produced his own fucking music as well and wrote it Mm. so for somebody who can cover the gamut of like raw human emotion and do it in the way he did and give us the music he did uh i i honestly don't think anyone is ever going to be able to fully portray that but if you're going to do it do it in the spirit of who that person was you know i think it's no different than like that tupac movie a lot of people were like upset about it right but like how much how like how much can you really fit in the span that tupac had in those five years was unprecedented right but how much can you fit in two hours right and also i think there's kind of a complicated dance that you have when you're an entity and you want to because i'm pretty sure just how the culture of supreme has been in the past maybe not so much now but i know they probably have people there who just really fuck with marvin Gaye and they just want to make sure that it's preserved so like a 14 year old kid from wyoming can understand the impact of uh marvin Gaye. but then maybe also on the flip side somebody at the estate was like we've seen some of the stuff you do we've seen you put pornographic shit on skateboards we're not also we're not really about that so you're gonna only be able to do this and they just kind of settled on that so oh yeah because marvin Gaye's estate don't fuck around like i was at bb i was at bbc when they cracked pharrell and robin thick over the head and that shit was hilarious Mm -hmm. right that was that was one of the funniest fucking things to ever play out was it a uh, Robin Thicke song that sampled Marvin Gaye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was that... Uh, they got 14 M's off of that but or something? Pharrell, 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 Pharrell produced it. Yeah. So, and they and they tried to get Tip in it and Tip, Tip, Tip toed out of that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he always knew. Because they was going to cut that, they was going to cut that three ways. They was going to bust that down. But I'll never forget the day I went in and it, I can't remember like who told me, but they was like, yo, Tip got out of this one too. And I was crying. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. So yeah, Pharrell and, uh, Did he? and Marvin, Marvin, not Marvin, uh, Robin Thicke had to bust that joint down uh, two ways. Did he, how did he... Did he get out because he was just like a feature artist? It was off of Robin Thicke's yeah. That's what album, really came but then down Pharrell, to. Like, Pharrell oh, produced it. Yeah, like he, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure like his, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Tip represented himself and uh, <laughs> and just talked and just talked them out the room. <laughs> Damn, they probably don't fuck with him no more, bro. I haven't. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I fuck with Tip. Can we can we get to some of the bullshit though? Like, can we? Because I want to get y'all. I, I don't want to hijack y'all podcast, but I really do want to get y'all opinion on Young Dolph lying to us for years about signing a record con- a record mm. deal, and uh, everybody just fanning over it like it's not a big deal. While he was, cried on Twitter about it. No, I, was gonna, was, I thought we were gonna say. I thought we were gonna no, mention that. No, we got time yeah. for this. Let me tell y'all. <laughs> I was actually. It was funny before Ace brought this up. I was actually just thinking about that. I was like, "Damn, Dolph really lied, saying he was independent when he signed multiple deals." Like, no, it would. I don't think anybody would have been mad if it'd be like, "Oh, I signed a deal or two, and we would have been like, Dolph, you still all right?" Like, he didn't have to lie about it. Like, that's. These are the situations that always get me the most. It's like, why do you? have to lie so violently about it over something that's not really that big of a deal has anybody confirmed who he signed with though that is a good question let me see but he literally said he literally did say like he signed like deal a deal back in like 2015 though so no he said he signed two deals yeah so 2018 one in 2015 that's what they saying these are very I feel recent like it, too. I feel like it wasn't with a major. Like I feel like those deals that usually happen like that are like those little deals to get a little money when you need it. Excuse me, but I felt like I felt like like actually how about we how about we like we break this down. So Frost, you being at you being at the I'm not gonna say what, what label. When did you start to notice labels telling artists not to say that they were in a deal? Mm. Because that, because that started at a time to when artists were signed, but they found it was in their best interest and for the artists to say they were independent because that was such a big deal. Talking about the mysterious uh, industry plant, yep. or is that the is that the same thing? Is that I wouldn't the same say thing? necessarily a plant. Um, and if I'm wrong, Frost, you can correct me. But there, there, there was a point in time to when the industry did change to where consumers, we'll say consumers or listeners, were more open to artists who they felt were independent. So labels and artists basically came to an agreement that on their albums, they wouldn't put album, they wouldn't put uh, label artwork, uh, they wouldn't say they were signed, but if you you know, did your homework and looked at some of the credits and shit like that, you see the label on it, but the labels will basically tell the artists that don't mention us being signed, but we're, you know, we're definitely still in the picture here. So, Frost, like, when did you start to notice that? Mm, I don't know. It's kind of tough. Just because I'm, I'm thinking, are they classifying it as signing with, a di- like, a distribution deal, too? Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's another thing, because we know of, of independent labels that have strictly signed a distribution deal and have been pretty straight, pretty successful. I mean, that's something that Jay Prince did. A little, some of those guys back then had a little bit more leverage, especially coming out of the South. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because a lot of the up north artists always want to kind of clown some of the older down south artists. But the, everyone up north was running to a deal, and a lot of people down in the South, they were really trying to start their own thing. Talk about it. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, it's been going on, I would say that. I noticed that 
I think one of the major things that I've noticed with that is, let's say if you go to like Spotify and you look at the album credits or the, the credits to the song or whatever, normally it would have whatever distribution or label that they're signed to listed under their credits. But let's say if you go to, uh, we don't have to get in semantics and say specific names, but within like the last two years, if you see a newer artist pop up and you look at- Nah, go ahead, say a name, dog. Uh, okay, so like for example, like Bad Baby, right? So like if you look at her credits for some of her earlier stuff, like it doesn't have a label on it, even though she's signed to a label, but they don't—they're not public about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot which one that she was a part of. Atlantic. But, okay, there. Atlantic I always be with the shits, boy. <laughs> Atlantic is like probably like the most cunning out of the big labels with how they do their dirt, and it's kind of scary. But that's another thing. Um, Atlantic is Instagram Music Group. Yeah, that is basically. True. Yeah. Um, Dream, Dream uh, Meek shit is is under Atlantic, right? Too. Yeah, yep. Meek under Atlantic too. Yeah. Atlantic has pretty much and isn't is Khaled Khaled's over there still uh, running shit, right? Is Khaled at Atlantic? He or is he at uh, Sony RCA? Let's see. I could be wrong. He might be at Sony RCA. Atlanta got Lil Z Vert under, under, in shackles. Um, <laughs> man, that's just, that's crazy what um, drama and Kenan doing though. Bro, oh, that's bro. And that's and that's my problem. And that's my problem with that they whole both situation. That's my problem with that whole situation. Like, that is that is two Philly cats who you can they can say whatever they want about the big label. Drama and Cannon should not have Uzi should not be in this situation. Yeah, the fact that I think Uzi's probably like out of the newer class, like within the last couple of years, we'll say last three years, I feel like he has like a pretty big catalog as far as just like being recognizable. And then for him to be in a deal like that, it's just it's sad. Like it just doesn't He's make any sense. Pro- Uzi's probably like out of all the new people, he probably sells in I don't know I think he's one of the be- better ones out of the newer people uh, yeah and the numbers say. back it up too so like right. I don't know yeah if we it's talking just, numbers Uzi is like he he's a fucking rock star like there's no way around that like yeah, he drops yeah. something it goes he sells out like I I can't tell you a single person that I know that saw him live that said it wasn't one of the best shows they've been to Right, I, I definitely tell you that. Or you know yeah. how people will say they retire and it's like a big deal for like a day or so. Like I don't know. Like Nav says he he retired and it was like a twelve hour thing. But Uzi wait, says he retired wait, and like people are still talking about it, right? Wait, so, which Nav? You uh, talking about that ugly motherfucker on the, the Indian the <laughs> Canadian Indian Canadian dude, bro? Yeah, the dude on Ovio? No, he's on uh, EXO. With with nah, the weekend, same thing, same fuck. You talking about yeah. that dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was threatening us with retirement. No, he said he was retiring. He just told everybody he was retiring. It is that's no, that's it. That Uzi said it. I think I think hey, he said it maybe like a month or so before Uzi or. Hey, Jay stuff. started that uh retirement shit, bro. Saying I'm retiring. I wish that back, nigga bro. would that hold shit. retirement over my head. <laughs> bro, it's crazy too, cause like Got I'm looking at nerve. Him. I'm looking at Atlantic's like roster, and they have like Weezer. They had Rolling Stones. They had Otis Redding. Like they had a whole bunch of like legendary names. But now it's like 
they're just they're cashing in on the the in, more. There are three labels um, instances. now. Yeah. There's legitimately like three or four labels now. Was it like Atlantic Capital, Def Jam, and somebody else? I'm missing one. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't know the exact. Uh, well, wait, Warner, they bought Ray Charles back. No, Warner, w- Warner has Atlantic. So there's like big labels, but then there's like the oh true. other big names under them, like Shoot. Warner, Universal, Sony, like the big ones. Sony. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's another. That's another giant that just runs like a giant chunk of the world, Sony. But that's like a whole nother. That's a whole nother episode right there. Yeah, we should we should we should get into that like later because that's that'd be a good conversation too. Yeah, we need to. Pass a really good conversation. I know Michael Jackson had that much pull over this shit. Nah. You try hop. You try. That that's how you trying to segue into that. No, I want to. You know, not right. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, if y'all want to speak on it, then. Um, <laughs> hmm. I mean, that is like a whole other episode, though, for real. Yeah, I was gonna say, and that's that's still kind of <laughs> rolling out. So I want to wait until that slows down before, so we could kind of download all of that information at one time, per se. Yeah, we'll say that. Um, <laughs> Cause that that's gonna be just the Michael Jackson piece is probably like an hour forty. Bless over. I don't know what happened. But, uh... <laughs> this episode, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we'll definitely be doing a follow up to this episode because there's just too much, too much good, too many good topics on this episode. So, uh, but Ace, you want to go ahead and uh, take us out? First off, I gotta say we need a sermons by Tay hashtag, but uh <laughs> Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> Alright, but uh this is Ace. This is D. And we got Frost and Tay. Yo. Yo.